So you've got Mark chapter 15, and we're continuing our series through Mark's Gospel. And uh, we've just, last week, we were looking at uh, what it means to uh, be tempted to go uh, through a trial. Like, remember, we looked at Peter, and he was in the trial in the courtyard, while Jesus was in the trial in the courtroom. And, you know, we go through those trials in our life, those times of temptation, whether it be to sin or just not to stand up, you know, for Christ as much. Uh, And we get a little bit ashamed of Christ and maybe, you know, but um, we all have those courtyard trials that we go through. But isn't it awesome to know that regardless of if we fail those trials or not, Jesus never failed the courtroom trial. He he went through all the way. And, uh, And we see here... Just uh, at this point in, in Matthew chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 15, we see here Jesus on his way through more of a trial, the trial of a king, the trial of a king. And, and tonight's sermon is called A Royal Inquest. I'm just going to pray for my benefit more so than yours, probably. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit inspired your word to mark, to write down the things that he saw and heard about Jesus. We thank you ultimately, Jesus, that you did this for us, that you went through this for us, that even though we fail, you never do. Even though we lose faith, you know, you remain faithful. Even though we mess up, you remained holy. We just thank you, Jesus, for this word tonight. Help us to see something about you tonight. Help us to walk away from here with a greater picture of who you are and who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a king, a king. Do you know Jesus actually came to show us what a king really was like? In the Old Testament, we read about the people of Israel, God's people, and they looked around at all the other nations, you know, as they were becoming a nation themselves. They looked around at all the other nations, and those other nations had rulers. They had kings. And, and Israel came to God, and they said, God, we need a king. We want a king. And they complained about it because all the other nations had kings. And he sent them a king. His name was Saul. He wasn't perfect, but he was the first one. And then came David. And David wasn't too bad. He was actually a good king. Mostly good. A lot of the Psalms were written by David, right? And then a whole lot of other kings came. And in fact, the nation of Israel split up into two, two nations, Judah and Israel. And those nations had kings too. And, so, and, and all the way through, Israel wanted a king. And most of the time, they rued that request of God. They regretted asking God for a king because the king would just turn the turn the Israelites away from him more often than not. And a king, in I don't know, picture a king. What does a king do? A king sits on the throne. A king is served by servants. A king doesn't have to do anything because everything is done for him. A king says something and everyone has to do it. And Jesus came and he showed us what a real king was. Let's have a look at some of the things that Jesus does here as a king, because sometimes we would probably look at the cross and not so much see a king 
in the action. We might see a servant, we might see someone suffering, but we might not see a king. Well, let's have a look at what this king does. In verse 1, very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? In other words, here is this man on his own being brought before Pilate, a governor of Israel, uh, sorry, a governor of Jerusalem, a, a Roman, and he's looking at Jesus and he, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? I expected something more. I expected something more. Are you the king of the Jews? How is he seeing Jesus? Bound. He's seeing Jesus bound, tied up, bound. He was bound. In, ver in Psalm 118, we see this um, scripture that keeps coming up at Palm Sunday. And it talks about binding the sacrificial lamb and bringing it to the altar. And they would, they would sing that. Let's have, a, let's have a turn there. If you've got your Bibles, turn there to Psalm 118. And verse 27. Uh, the Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With boughs in hand, in other words, palms in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. That Hebrew can also be translated, bind the festal sacrifice with ropes and take it up to the altar. So at one hand, you got all the crowds calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus as he was coming in on the donkey that day, that's that Saturday afternoon before Friday, last Saturday it is, before Friday, calling out Hosanna, here's the Messiah, Hosanna, save us. And they would say these words with boughs, boughs of trees, branches in hand, join in the festal procession and bind the festal sacrifice with ropes and take it up to the altar. And here is Jesus, the festal sacrifice. What feast? What feast? What feast are they talking about? Passover. And here is the sacrifice being bound on Passover, Friday, and being asked, are you the king? Are you the king? The king is bound. The king is bound so that we can be free. The king is bound. What else do we see about this king? Uh, Jesus responds by saying, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But he says in John's gospel, in chapter 18 of John's gospel, he says that my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would call upon my mighty warriors and they would rescue me without being handed over to the Jews. So Jesus is a king, but not of this world. He's a king, but not of this world. 
This world will fade away. This world will fall apart. In fact, this, this whole creation is under a curse and one day will disappear. But his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, will last forever. Jesus was bound. Jesus was bound for our freedom. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. Now they're accusing Jesus of stirring up riots and possibly leading another uh, insurrection, another riot uprising against the Roman authorities with all the other zealots and, and causing, causing mass chaos in, in the area. And, and Pilate, a Roman official, he doesn't want that. He wants to be friends with Caesar. He doesn't want to, have, he, he doesn't want to be the guy that is in charge when the Jews start a massive riot. And so the, the chief priests and religious people are accusing Jesus of one of those guys, as being one of those guys who's going to start a riot, start an uprising. And so they are accusing Jesus of this. And Pilate says to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? Aren't you going to give some kind of response? Now, I said last Sunday to, to the guys at face to face at church that I've been in court before. And uh, it's, it's a fun, it's, a, it's not a fun place. It's not a fun place. But usually people get a chance to respond, to give some sort of a plea, to give their side of the case or to have some witness stand in their defense and tell their side of the story. And, and, and if Jesus was one of those uprising agents, if he was going to be a leader of a revolt of some description, then surely he would be the kind of person that would give an excuse or, or give some sort of response to Pilate. Like, no way, I'm, I'm not that kind of person at all. But Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't give any excuse. He is a king who is not only bound for our freedom, but he is silent. He is silent. He's silent before Pilate. Jesus does not defend himself. He does not defend himself. Do you know why? Because he is a king. He is a king and he loves you and me so much that he was silent. He was silent. I want you to turn to um, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 11 and 12, if you can. There's a story in the Old Testament of... Um, of Elijah. And Elijah is uh, on the run from a very mean lady called Jezebel. And he is running for his life and he flees uh, into a cave. And he's in this conversation with God, right? And God shows up. And in, and in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 11, uh, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, 
he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, often we think of God as, as, as a mighty, mighty force, and that he is. But his mightiest act on earth is being silent before those who accuse him. Why? So that you and I could have a voice before God. Because the Bible says that because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of inerrant sin, all the way through, every single human being stands silent before a holy God without excuse. A holy God as a judge. You know, if we're, going to come, we're all going to come before him and, and, and he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? It is perfect. It is holy. You know, and sometimes we can, we can think too highly of ourselves, not to put ourselves down, but but we think that we're good enough because we don't sin as much as other people. You know, we base that on, we, we measure ourselves on other people. But, but in order to get into heaven, we have to measure ourselves on God. And we don't measure up. We all stand silent before him. Romans chapter 3 talks about this. But it finishes with this wonderful verse that even, even, because, even though we sin, Christ died for us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all silent before God. But in Christ Jesus, we have a voice. We have a voice. We have hope. Have a look, if you can, to, to Matthew chapter 12. Because what Matthew does is he quotes from Isaiah 42. Okay, just flick there, if you can. Matthew chapter 12 and verses... Um, if you're taking notes, verses 18 to 21, this is, this is titled God's Chosen Servant. Okay, so um, it, it goes like this. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42. He says, uh, Matthew says, Here is my servant, uh, sorry, 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. We have hope because Jesus was silent. Because he was gentle, because he didn't retaliate, because he didn't respond in, in other ways that we do sometimes and, and, and in, 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 in retaliation and revenge. He stood there silent for you and for me. The king is bound. The king is silent. Back to Mark chapter 15. We see here in verse 6, Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came, you know the rest of the story. The crowd came and they said, Release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Do you know what Barabbas means? It, Bar means son of and Abba means father. 
So the son of the father gets released while the son of God gets rejected and condemned. This king becomes condemned so that we are not condemned in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When? Now. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This king was bound so that we could be free. This king was silent so that we could have a voice before God. And this king, this king took our place. And this wasn't any kind of, you know, it wasn't as if he wasn't in control in this. It wasn't as if Jesus kind of just relinquished control to everybody else around him. Because it says in Acts chapter 2, where, where Peter gives this speech after the Holy Spirit comes upon everybody, it fills Peter with the Holy Spirit and he gives the best sermon he's ever given ever. He says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. It's not, you know, they weren't in charge. Pilate wasn't in charge. The, the, the ruling religious leaders weren't in charge. Jesus, bound, silent, he was in charge. Condemned, bound and silent, Jesus remains in charge. God remains in charge. And, and Peter says, And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Sorry, spoiler alert, Jesus rose again. <laughs> but this, he shows us what a king is. A king comes to serve. A king comes to serve and he's silent and he's bound and he's condemned. What else? What else does this king do for us, for, for you, for me? Mark tells us that he was scourged. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas, in verse 15, to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And the soldiers ended up leading him away and scourged him and whipped him, flogged him, flogged him. There would have been two, two soldiers with a whip in each hand. And they were whips with long, long, front, long uh, straps. And at the end of each strap, there'd be some kind of metal thing or a piece of bone or something hard. And it would rip flesh. He was flogged. He was flogged. Why was he flogged? Turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah gives us the answer. In Isaiah chapter 53. It's a beautiful picture of the cross. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53. And verse 5. It says, but he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are 
healed. By his wounds, we are healed. He wasn't whipped. He wasn't flogged for your salvation and my salvation. He was pierced. He was crucified for your salvation and my salvation. He didn't have to be flogged for for us to be saved and go to heaven. He didn't have to be whipped. He didn't have to be. Why was he whipped? Why was he flogged? For our healing. He was flogged for our healing so that we could be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. He was flogged so that we could be healed. What else was this king doing to show what a king does? A mighty king, not only flogged, but he was mocked. It says the soldiers led Jesus away in verse 16 into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. Let's get everyone in on this. And in verse 17, they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him and they mocked him. Here was Jesus smelling like the spit of the religious leaders with the, with the waft of the beautiful perfume of Mary just days before, just the night before. And now he is getting mocked. He's getting hit. He's, they're placing a, a, a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns on him. He was bound so that we could be free. He was silent so that we could have a voice before God. He was condemned so that we are not condemned. He was flogged so that we could be healed. Why was he mocked? He was mocked in this way so that we could be royalty. He was mocked as royalty so that we could actually be royalty. You know the beautiful story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where there's two sons and one father, and, and one son runs off with all the money and then wastes it in, in all this kind of dark living. All right? It sounds fun, but it didn't last. Right? And he ends up getting to the point where he's at his lowest in a pig pen, eating the scraps the pigs eat. You know that story, right? And he says to himself, why am I here? I could be one of my father's servants. I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be your son. Make me one of your servants. And so he's got this plan and he starts back home and he sees at a distance someone at the gate. And who is it? It's the father. And what does the father do? In the story, the father runs to see this son. He, he wraps his arms around him and he welcomes him and he says, my son was dead and now he's alive. Quick, someone put a robe on him and put a ring on his finger. His son smells like pigs, which is offensive to a Jewish person. But the father doesn't care because the father has received his son back. And that's a beautiful picture for all of us. We all mess up. doesn't matter what your name is, how famous you are, whatever. We all mess up, but God is waiting for us to come back to him and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. And God's not going to go, yeah, you deserve to be one of my servants. He's going to put his, put his arms around us and welcome us into his family and then put a robe on us and a ring on our finger. A robe is a symbol of righteousness. It's a righteousness that none of us have. We're not right, right? None of us are right. None of us are perfect or holy, but God is. 
And God gives us his righteousness because of what Christ did for us, but what, because of what Jesus did for us that day on the cross. We can be his. Sons and daughters of the king. What does that make us? Princes and princesses. Royalty. Because he was mocked. Because he was mocked, we can be sons and daughters of the king. He puts a robe on us, a robe of righteousness. He puts a crown on us, a crown of righteousness. And one day we're going to come to him and we're going to lay those crowns down and say, no, you're worthy of it all. It's not us, it's you. But he welcomes us into his family because, he's, because he was mocked for us. Um, this, uh, if you're taking notes just for, the, for a robe, there's Isaiah 61 verse 10. There's James 1 verse 12, talking about a, a robe um, of righteousness. Oh, sorry, a crown uh, of righteousness. Um, robe, Galatians 3.27, we're clothed in Christ. And Luke 15.22 is that prodigal son story. And the crown of thorns, sorry, is, um, so he gives us a, a crown. So James chapter 1, verse 12, and 2 Timothy 4.8, we have this crown. God has given us this crown of righteousness that will not perish. It's beautiful. Here is, the, here is your king. Pilate says to the, to the Jews and everyone standing there, here is your king. And they end up crucifying him. They handed him over to be crucified. And we, and we finish the story in verse 20. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. So here he was, looking like a king, bloodied, with a, with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Then they took it off of him and put his own clothes on him. You know what that I remind, reminded me of? A story that Jesus shared with his disciples, a thing, sorry, a thing that Jesus did with his disciples the night before. And Mark doesn't show us what that thing was, but John does. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn with, with me to John chapter 13. And we see this king, we see this king acting out something that's going to happen in the future the night before with his disciples. It says in John chapter 13 and verse 2, oh, let's go to verse 1, set the scene. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. This is the Passover. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. 
Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You know, this is a really beautiful picture. Jesus is showing how he stepped down, took off his holiness, became like us. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5 down to 9 tells us that he, he emptied himself, became one of us, and did something that none of us could do, and that was conquer sin and have eternal life because of our own holiness. And Jesus did that. He came down from heaven, emptied himself, took off his robe of righteousness, so to speak, washed our feet on the cross through the flogging, through the being, uh, being tied up, through the silence, through the in injustice, injustice of it all. Jesus went all the way. And then when he'd finished, he, he died, he rose again, put back his clothes on and went back to heaven. And he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I just want to leave you with this thought tonight. Like, if you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you'd like to put your trust in him tonight, then that's awesome. You can do that. Easily. Anyone can. Just believe that he is the king and that he did what he did on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And God's just going to welcome you home with open arms. Uh, but if you are a believer, I want to leave you with this challenge tonight. That Jesus set us an example that we should follow. He set us an example that we should follow. Sometimes we need to find ourselves in situations where, sometimes, sorry, we find ourselves in situations where we feel like representing ourselves. Where we feel like responding in a vengeful, vindictive way. And, and, we, and we justify our response as if it's the right thing to say, as if the other person deserves it. But Jesus was silent. Sometimes we feel like, you know, not so much strangling people, but, you know, using our hands, laying our fists on people, pointing the finger at people. But you know what? Jesus was bound. And sometimes we feel like condemning others, but Jesus was condemned for us. He was silent before, before those who put him to death. He went all the way for us. He let, he let go of himself, laid down his life. For us, for you, for me. As an example, we should follow. What are some ways you can lay down your life this week? Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you laid down your life for us, Jesus. We thank you that you showed us exactly what a king is. You, you served us. You served us. And Lord, we want to be people like you. We want to follow you. We want to follow your example. And so God, help us to serve as royalty and help us to rule as servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.